Hi, welcome to the Weird World Podcast. My name's Carrie. I'm Emma. I'm Dean. We're doing a second parter here, Dean. Yes, we are. What's the topic? I forgot. Why don't you look at your notes? <laughs> okay. We are going to learn more about tarot. Last week, in part one of the tarot card two-part episode, we learned all about tarot cards, didn't we? Yes, we did. There were 78 of them. They had major and minor arcana. There were four suits. All those four suits had certain meanings. Carrie became an instant master. I was going to say, I did such a good job last week, and I don't think I remember any of it now. <laughs> okay, the wands, what are they about? Uh, magic. Not oh. quite. The whole thing's about magic. The wands specifically were action, passion, mm. initiative. Cups, remember the cups, the other suit? That was about what? Um, liquid. Oh, romance? Did she say licorice? Kind of. Not exactly. About emotions, intuition, relationships, swords. That's a natural Power. Conflict. Conflict. (laughs) Challenges. You guys are good. It's good to see you're paying attention. (laughs) Pentacles. More domestic, work, money, that kind of thing. Yep. They also had the court cards, the page, the knight, the king, Mm -hmm. the queen. We learned all about what these cards meant, how you dealt them, the different spreads that you could deal and we then did some readings. I did a reading with first Emma and then Carrie. We found out passive-aggressive Carrie wanted to go travel and meet her mom or see her mom, but <laughs> it was interesting. And, and if I an aggressive-aggressive Dean was keeping her from seeing her <laughs> elderly mother. D. Not at all. In fact, we're going to go see her in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And Emma learned that she was going to get a job and her boyfriend would have, what was it again? It was a week ago, so. Yeah, uh, my boyfriend would like help me. Yes, and have some bearing and cross some influence over on or this. something, yeah. We learned that by reading and having a reading <laughs> of the magic of tarot cards. Yes. Today, we are going to learn a lot more about the history of tarot, hmm. where they came from that might or might not be exactly like the legend has it spoiler alert, might not, and that they, not, I don't want to be, I'm sure people will be accusing me here of bagging on tarot and and shitting on tarot, but I do want to talk about some of the techniques that are used in tarot reading that are not entirely honest with the querents, because it's not uncommon at all, and also just what folks in tarot enthusiasts believe is maybe happening when they do a tarot reading. We'll Mm. talk about that as well. So let's start with some of the history of tarot, it's actually pretty interesting on, it, on its own, I think. So, I mean, you think of tarot and you think sort of ancient Egypt. That's the, the mystique, that's the legend, and that we have ancient Egypt to thank for millennia ago inventing tarot and this mysterious Romani, who mm-hmm. some people call the gypsy when they're feeling, you know, slurry. That's more of what I would have associated with. I would never yeah. have thought ancient Egypt. Well, that's what supposedly the Romani brought them from Egypt with them when they came into Western Europe and did fortune telling and things like that with tarot cards. That's the legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and the tarot, they'd use the tarot to tell fortune or to understand our deepest needs and desires and then make kind of correct decisions from what the tarot tells us to influence our lives. And it was a clear supernatural kind of paranormal power uh, that was sort of this veneer of supernatural to the tarot cards. That's the history. That's the, that's the legend. In fact, though, the Romani are not even from Egypt at all. They're from Central Asia, and that tarot cards have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with ancient Egypt in any way, shape, or form. There's this idea of the, because there was, the, I think it was pronounced as T-H-O-T-H, and I think it's pronounced thought, uh, one of the ancient Egyptian gods who was a god of magic. And so people would call it like tarot, like the book of thought or something like that. That was, again, part of the legend. He was in, he, he's the guy with the ibis head, in case that helps at all. Does that help at all? No, you know who he is? Not the jackal, not the, not the crocodile, the bird. All right? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's thought. That's the legend. Turns out that's not true at all. In fact, we know exactly, not only when, but who gave birth to this conception of tarot as magic. And we know exactly when they did it. The ancient Egypt thing was sort of added to add that sense of mystique, and it does so effectively. And then, you know, lazy media just repeats that same story again and again and again. Have you ever seen anything in any media that challenges the, the I mean, the history, you, you know, when people are talking about tarot, have you ever mm-hmm. seen, uh, you know, you, you almost always, in fact, I did. I read a lot of stuff on tarot, and everything there was just sort of, 
you know, normal media, quote unquote, would say tarot, the ancient Egyptian or the, the Romani, you know, um, mode of fortune telling something, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. That's 100% not true. Mm. Nothing to do with Romani, nothing to do with Egypt. Really? Okay. I've never seen anything about tarot, period. Really? <laughs> about yeah. the origin of it. No, I well, but I've, you're, I'm know. not. I don't have an interest in it, so I've, I've never looked it up. Or yeah, if you've you seen tarot cards being read on movies and TV, who's reading them? Some old Romany woman, right? True. Yeah, the, yeah that's why I said I would associate okay. it with Eastern yeah. European people or something, not oh. Egypt. Egypt well, or Central Asia. Well, you know, gypsy is a corruption of the word Egypt. That's So I thought it's not generally thought of. You didn't realize that Romani are thought of as being from Egypt? No. I no, I didn't know that. Uh, no. That I they are. Ass- I just thought that was more generally known. No, I purely Mm-mm. associated them with Eastern oh, Europe. interesting. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, certainly now. How long ago did they come from Egypt? They didn't come from Egypt, ever. They were never in Egypt. Then why is the name? E- no, I'm talking about Romani people. Yeah, Romani people do not come from Egypt. They have oh. nothing whatsoever to do with Egypt. I just said that just minutes ago. They're from Central Asia, the steppes of Asia. And it was a misconception that was spread. Yeah. Oh, that Europeans, okay. you know, French, whatever, mm-hmm. Germans, oh, thought okay. those people, because they're a little darker. They're from yeah. Central uh, they, yeah. they're, they're a little bit Turkish in their ultimate origins. So they said and thought that they came from Egypt for some reason. I don't know how they got connected with Egypt. Oh, have, okay. Just throughout some random yeah. country. And that's where the word gypsy came from. Got it. But it's not true. Is a big Clearly. old family. There are speculations about what gave rise to the characters and the suits in the card of tarot. Some think that the four suits were derived from the four caste of India. Mm. Some people think that they had something to do with the four estates of society in the Middle Ages, in Middle Age Europe. Some people think they're from Greek philosophy. Some people see similarities to ancient Chinese playing card symbols in all those, those four suits. Tarot cards close to what we now know and think of as tarot cards first show up in Europe sometime in the 1400s. And most historians now think they were borrowed from the Mamluks. You ever heard of the Mamluks? No, I have not. Ironically, they do have a connection to Egypt. Oh. (laughs) The Mamluks were not just Egypt. The Mamluks were a slave warrior caste. They were used in lots of the Arab-ruled nations and sultanates in the Middle East was now the Middle East, all throughout the Middle Ages. And in Egypt, especially, in like, I don't know, like a 1,000 to even like 1,800 and something, they were a dominant caste. They came to rule Egypt. There is basically the Arab caliphates would... Caliphates? I just made that word up. The Arab (laughs) caliphates and sultanates would enslave peoples from all over the world, Europeans, Central Asians, whatever, and breed them into this warrior caste that was Mm. almost like enslaved mercenaries, but they had some serious status Mm -hmm. and they became this kind of important class within many societies. Mm. And in Egypt, they actually took over the country for a long time. So they had some kind of a, some of these suits and characters, at least the suits for sure, seem to come from Mamluk society. Their suits probably refer to the symbols that represented Mamluk, Mamluk ranks, which were the cupbearer, the swordbearer, the polo stick, and something that looks kind of wand-like. So mm-hmm. they think that's where they came from, not from you know China or, or Greece or what have you. The Italians, not surprisingly, developed the major arcana. And remember the major arcana? The, the hanged man, the fool, mm-hmm. the empress, the king, yeah. the queen, etc. They use characters like that in their allegorical parades and carnivals. In the yes. Middle Ages, they'd have these characters, you know, walking through the streets dressed yeah. up in those kinds of, of motifs. They would use like Roman or Greek themes, and they have maybe some fantastic animals and mythical creatures, but in amongst there were what would become, or a lot of what would become, the major arcana characters. So those historians believe came from Italy in the Middle Ages. And so basically what they did was they, they then started r- drawing up, painting those characters onto tarot cards, on what would become called tarot cards. This is in the 15th century Italy again. Wealthy families would have this deck of cards hand-painted. Every single deck had to be hand-painted wow. by artists and with these allegorical illustrations and these characters and these topics that at the time those people understood. They understood what the mm-hmm. meaning of the fool was and the empress and the emperor and things like that. And they're called... Carte di, di, dear Lord, I can't pronounce. I'm, I'm, I don't speak Italian. Carte <laughs> de triomphi, but it meant triumph cards. <laughs> Question mark? Good job. It meant triumph, triumph cards. And 
that word or that phrase, I guess, eventually got superseded by the word tarot, which is thought to have come from a German word tarok, which in turn <laughs> is thought to have derived from tarocci, which was Italian and meant something like foolishness. So it's, I know it seems kind of circular. It's like kind of. But it's fun. Mm-hmm. So then we eventually get to the word tarot. And it meant these cards, these hand-painted cards with these characters on them. This, all of this is just supposition, right? It is. Nobody but really knows for sure. No, it's I mean, not documented. It's, it's fairly decently documented. The history of these, card, these triumph cards is, is a decently enough known. And what they're used for and what they looked like and the kind of pictures they had on them and where those characters came from, these, these Italian carnivals and parades. That's, that's fairly established now. Oh, okay. okay. The cards, though, these what would be called tarot cards or mm-hmm. tarocci, whatever, they were used for games, 100%. They're for light entertainment. They're like old-timey game night mm-hmm. cards. They were the secret Hitler of the 14 and 1500s. <laughs> I mean, I want to I want to stress that. Tarot, we use... Okay, secret Hitler is a game. It's for a game, people sorry. Who don't yeah. <laughs> it's I a don't game know how cards. widely known it is. Yeah. It's very popular. <laughs> I don't know, maybe not. It's a fun you game. have no clue. Terror were used for like interactive storytelling games. You know, you'd pull out the characters and things like that, and you would apparently they, they've lost a lot of the details, but they think there's some kind of interactive storytelling game. Sometimes, though, they were also used for straight up card games. Like yeah. you had the sequences would come and you get points for different sequences or different cards, things like that. They have mm-hmm. the rules involved. We've lost most of the rules. Some games they think were used for a game very much like bridge. And you even had couples as teams playing against each other. And it was, it was for a bridge-like game and they'd use tarot cards. Get the idea, right? Yeah, but, that all makes sense. The deck and the games that were associated with it, then spread from Italy throughout all of Europe into France and to Germany. France, they became very, very popular, again, for games. Eventually, many countries had their own versions of tarot cards, their own games, but there was no, you know, sense of this supernatural aura or this magical power associated with them at all in the 1400s, the 1500s, the 1600s, and most of the 1700s. That is, until Paris... Late 18th century, that is when tarot cards made this pivot to the realm of the paranormal. Hmm. 1781, to be exactly specific. I told you it was... And and it's a dude named Antoine Court de Gebelin. G-E-B-E-L-I-N. I I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm going to go with it. He was a Freemason. He was a mystical enthusiast. But he was also a Protestant pastor. Seems a little bit weird. Yeah. Why? It's just a, a Protestant pastor is also this this fan of mysticism yeah. and Freemasonry. It seems a little strange. I don't know what Freemasonry really is. We did an episode on it. You were probably not there. Did we do an episode on no. Freemasonry? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've not done an episode. Maybe that's why you didn't you know made it, it up. We will eventually one day do an episode. We had an episode that talked a lot about Freemasonry, though, and I'm just trying to remember what it was. I know we did. I don't know. Listeners, tell us what our episode was that had a lot of Freemason yeah. stuff in it. I'm almost positive we did. He, uh, Gebeline, de Gebeline, he said he realized that the mysteries of tarot, when he was at a woman's house, her name was, he called her Madame La C. H, meaning the H was the rest of her last name, mm. but he didn't say he didn't what say it was. It. Yeah. And he's, she was playing card games using tarot cards as they were used for with her lady friends. And he just had this epiphany, this stroke of genius. He realized, hey, I see the truth of what's going on here. Those tarot cards, there's something there a lot more than just playing this bridge-like game with your lady friends there, Madame La Cide H. Okay? <laughs> so De Gebeline said that the tarot deck was effectively a book. And if we learned to read it, it could reveal these great truths, mm-hmm. right? Those 78 cards were the fragment of all that remained from the book, the lost book of Toth. I'm, I'm sorry, Toth. Thought. Thought. <laughs> the, the lost book of Thought. Again, he was the ibis-headed Egyptian god that was associated with magic. He said these, the silly games that they were used for just hid their real meaning from us. And he wrote up his thoughts and released them in like a pamphlet to all the world. Hmm. And the world promptly yawned for the most part. Mm. Didn't get a lot of play. But in 1781, we have this pamphlet. 
We know what he said. He was the first person to say, uh-oh, there's something more than card games with tarot. They're magical, and they go back to Egypt. So he believed this. Did, he may have believed it. Oh, okay. He may have not believed it. Yeah. I don't know. He may have. I, I don't know. I can't get inside his head at this late date. <laughs> I don't know a lot about his personal life, but he may be. He did. He was a big enthusiast of all things mystical. It was not much later, an astrologer named Jean-Baptiste Alliette, he took it from there. He hit the big time with tarot. He wrote under the super clever pseudonym of Etella, which is Alliette spelled backwards. Ooh, he's super, super clever. <laughs> he was good. No one knew. And he began to transform the mystic cards into, and gave them more meaning, I guess. His book was called a way to entertain oneself with a pack of cards. <laughs> so he was good at, at pseudonyms and is good at book titles. Yeah. Because that's quality work. And there in this book, he ties the cards to their, quote, hermetic Egyptian astrological significance, unquote. Oh. Makes hmm. sense. Her hermetic refers to Hermes, a uh, Greek god. Uh, hermetic was a big, big thing in the mystical world of the Middle Ages and later. He, Aliette, then used the card drawing techniques that he had earlier written about. As a, remember, he was an astrologer, and he ascribed these meanings to the tarot cards. So he's the guy who said, okay, we could deal the tarot cards, we can flip them over, and, we'll, and which cards you flip over will have some kind of a meaning. That was, so that's this, this kind of critical next step in the evolution of the you know, mysticism of, of tarot. And then it was yet another Frenchman, Alphonse-Louis Constant, France, tell me if I'm doing bad things to your language. <laughs> France as a whole. French fan, tell me. He took tarot to the next level. Constant. He was this, <laughs> I'm sorry, am I pronouncing it too French? <laughs> Maybe. Constant. Constant. He was this anti-enlightenment, failed priest mystic, and he had a passion for Kabbalah. Oh. And he wrote under the name... Eliphas Levi, another great name, by the way. Not as good as Aliette backwards, but mm -hmm. still pretty good. He was very active in the late 18th century into the early 19th century, and Constant thought, hey, I just noticed something, and this cannot possibly be a coincidence. He said, there were 22 major arcana cards in the tarot deck. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And there are 22 paths along the Kabbalistic tree of life. Mm. <laughs> that one I'm going to have to take his word on because I don't know what that is. But I don't either. He said, you know what? There's no way that could be a coincidence. No. That has meaning. So once again, we see that the bedrock of something that's going to be supernatural is based on a toddler's inability to understand there's a thing called coincidence and that there really are coincidences. I feel like chimps. Dolphins, octopuses, and ravens would have understood that. But elephants, not, too. And elephants as well, but not constant. He thought, hey, these th three things have 22. Something's going on here. Mm -hmm. They're connected. Constant. I, I get it, man. You get it? The 22? Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. I think he's on to something. He might be. Or <laughs> there might be just be three things in the world that have 22 in common. Maybe. There's probably a few more things that also have 22. 22 in common. You don't bring those in because yep. it's not convenient. Constant divides. I've been trying to think of some, but I can't think of anything <laughs> off the top of my head. But I'm, I'm sure there are other, other alphabets that have 22 letters. For instance, for example, yeah. there are um, probably you just find addresses with 2022. And that's what you do with numbers. You can always have fun uh -huh. with numbers. Yeah. Constant devised his method of interpreting the mystical properties of tarot cards based on occult traditions that he was more familiar with, especially the Kabbalah, but also alchemy and weirdly mesmerism. Mesmerism at the beginning, which is now called hypnotism, and I think it, um, if it, it still should be called mesmerism because I don't think it's a thing. He uh, was, it was kind of mystical. Mesmerism had a real mystical aspect to it at its inception in the late 19th century. He was thought of as kind of magical. He, Constant, claimed that the deck could even provide like wisdom beyond prophecy and could divine someone's future. Mm -hmm. So again, we see tarot becoming more like what we think of tarot today. And then uh, the last French person, and there's another French person, is an early 19th century fortune teller. Her name is Marie-Anne Lenormand. She used a, an abbreviated tarot deck 
and she cast fortunes with them. So she was a kind of a fortune teller. So she, would, she was the first person that we know of, anyway, to specifically use tarot and start popularizing it and actually casting f- fortunes for clients who would come to her mm. and want to know the future. And then later on, much later, uh, it would become popular in the West, but especially like, like in, Bring, in um, Great Britain, mystics like Aleister Crowley and the poet William Butler Yeats became big fans of tarot and propagated the idea of tarot in Britain which, and moved on to the United States as well. Who knew that William Butler Gates, the poet, was uh, he was a super mystical, supernatural enthusiast? Mm, I, I assume all poets are. Do you? Oh, every <laughs> yeah. single last one of them. Yeah. Rudyard Kipling, Carrie. I doubt Maybe it. Maybe not him. He's but a meat and potatoes poet. The, ro- the rest of them. Okay. In fact, though, the idea of, have you ever heard the phrase cartomancy? No. It's basically telling the future through cards. That oh, part, huh? that actual, as a thing, goes back a long time. It really is yeah. ancient. So tarot went through this weird, you know, it's just games, and then it, it got sort of mystified in the late 18th century in France, mm-hmm. and then eventually came to be tell, being this fortune-telling thing. So it's not that weird that they thought, hey, these tarot cards are mystical, and that pretty quickly they came to specifically tell fortunes, because telling fortunes through cards had been around for a very long time. So you see that, that just you know, was another thing you accreted onto these tarot cards. Mm-hmm. So what the people did sometime in this period of this, this evolution of the tarot into this magical thing was they, they drew up that fanciful past, right? That connection where we saw the right. first guy had the connection to mm-hmm. Egypt, and mm-hmm. then somehow they got connected to the Romani people, undoubtedly because the Romani were very active. Their shtick very often when they traveled from town to town was to read fortunes and things like yeah. that. That's what they did. So they got associated with Romani. That seems very natural. It's association to playing cards then you forgot that. You, you didn't talk about that. So that kind of got taken out of the actual history of tarot cards because it just, I mean, that's kind of embarrassing yeah. that mm-hmm. they started out playing bridge games and things like that. Let, let me just say this. If we all agreed that we're playing poker and that I dealt you five cards in the hand of poker and as you flipped them over, they meant something, mm-hmm. then they'd mean something for us. And we yeah. would have some kind of, that, that would be a system. And poker would be a magical, supernatural, paranormal thing. It's not. But it, it's not thought that way, but mm-hmm. that would be just exactly 100% as valid as thinking of tarot cards that way, I would argue. And knowing that that was their past is something that's inconvenient to the modern you know, tarot enthusiast. Mm-hmm. So regardless, though, the use of tarot cards and its pretend history became really solidified in people's minds. The cards themselves became these mass-marketed things, like the Ouija board. I mean, the Ouija board. Yeah. The Ouija board was invented by Parker Brothers, right? I've I've read that somewhere. I don't. Are, I was gonna mention the Ouija board if that started out as a literal game. I, I think it literally started out as a game. Now, I mean, there was the idea of having a planchette, and I think moving things through supernatural psychic powers. I believe predates specifically the Ouija board, but the Ouija board is a thing. It looks like, oh, that's something really ancient. You have the yes, the no, the we, and the ja, and um, the letters and things like that. No, I'm pretty sure the Ouija board itself was invented as a game. Yeah, that makes sense. I think so. If I'm wrong, we'll correct that. I don't believe in Ouija boards as real. Oh, I do, 100%. (laughs) Wait, really? (laughs) Have you ever done it? Have you ever... um, I've done Ouija. I haven't. And yeah. It scares me. Yeah. Even though I don't necessarily believe in it, I don't think like, you know, spirits are going to come out. I just have watched too many movies and it scares me. I think spirits are going to come out. My favorite Maybe cousin or your favorite of my cousins, Ross Ann. Ross, great name, by the way. <laughs> scared Apply us. any male name to the name and yeah. you've got a female name. When That's we were favorite. little kids by taking us up into the attic and... Moving the thing on the Ouija board. Oh, Ross Ann. Yeah. That was diabolical. She's a big-time Republican now. Okay. (laughs) She didn't put that on the podcast, Mom. That's weird. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she doesn't listen to this podcast. You said he, didn't you? You say she or he? She. I said she. Good. Because Ross Ann is a Well, Ouija is a trademark of Hasbro. There you go. Hasbro. Not Parker's Hasbro. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it's French and German for yes. We and Ja. We and Ja. Well, the oh, original Ouija board was created around 1890. Was it that not created by Hasbro? So Hasbro bought the rights or something like that? I don't know. How long has Hasbro Damn been around? It. I haven't read the Hasbro's entire article, around. but there was time. a picture. Okay. Oh, here. Still, 1890. You think of Ouija as being, you know, centuries and centuries old. Yeah. This is becoming a Ouija podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll um, 
research it and research it. maybe we'll do a little weird bit on it. Okay, right on. Cute. So we think about what just happened when, when we did the reading mm-hmm. last episode, end of last episode, or, you know, the, the vast majority of tarot readings between reader and querent, which I'm a big fan of that word, by the way. It's a good word. <laughs> if you're convinced of the magical aspects of tarot, then nothing we're going to talk about here is going to change your mind, and that's fine. Again, I'm not trying to shit on tarot, but I do want to hopefully just give this a listen and consider this as a possibility of what's really happening very often when someone is doing a tarot reading. It's a really simple simple explanation for how tarot readers sometimes do seem to have, I don't know, kind of read your mind and know about you, about your life, and maybe know more than what they should, right? And you've probably heard of this before, but it's called cold reading. Mm-hmm. And it's what psychics do in a psychic reading, what the, you know, the, the Long Island medium, whatever, uh, John Edward and people like that, when they are in their psychic readings of people, they're simply doing cold reading. They're really good at it, but that's what they're doing. There's yeah. nothing supernatural whatsoever about Sometimes it. Sometimes it does seem strangely remarkable. Yes. Yeah. They come up with two, two things going on there. One but editing. I was going to say whenever it's on TV <laughs> and, yeah. or, and yeah. recorded, then yeah, they're not showing, they're not yeah. showing the person go, Nope, Nope. Eh, wrong again. Yeah. Sorry. That that's, that never errors. But in the hands of someone skilled and experienced, it can seem amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, very powerful technique. So cold, cold reading is essentially, one website called it, quote, essentially combining high probability guesses and broad statements with carefully crafted language and psychological tricks to create the appearance of intuitive perception or paranormal gifts. So, and that's what I, I, I know I didn't do a good job. And I know I don't, I'm not a, a, an experienced tarot reader. In fact, the first two times I did it were the last two times <laughs> on last night and the last two times I'll ever do it. Uh, but it, I was trying to just demonstrate and illustrate a couple of some of the techniques they do. The, the fishing, the scattergun, the, the guesses, the, and critically how the tarot reader or the, the reader, the psychic, whatever, mm-hmm. and the, the client kind of come together to, to assess and, and, say, and, and say what the meaning of these things are. So there are some keys to convince to a convincing cold reading. So one is tossing out lots and lots of vague guesses about the current and their situation. So mm-hmm. okay, we, we did it quickly, but that's what you do. You just throw a lot of stuff out. And what they do is, is the reader gets really good at reading body language, which is maybe or maybe not a thing, but still, you can, you know, you can see in someone's facial gestures often, it's like, like you know, when, when they look like, oh, yeah, you know, that's a hit, or like, nope, stone-faced. And then what they do is the reader relies on the querent to make sense of that guess. Mm -hmm. That's super, super critical. Because it turns out, and this has been shown with studies, that the reader wants the, I'm sorry, the querent wants the reader to be right. Virtually by definition, if you're going voluntarily for a psychic reading or a tarot reading or something like that, you believe in that to some extent. And so, you want that session to be meaningful and to make sense. The reader lets you. And it's this innate selection bias that is an incredibly, it seems so nonsensical, but it's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. You don't see them doing these things with people who aren't to some degree want it to be true and, and want to believe. That's not who their clientele is. I mean, think, you know, you put up a shingle, mm-hmm. your clientele walking that door isn't someone who thinks you're full of shit. Yeah. Nine to- 99 times out of 100. Unless they're a journalist and they're trying to get you. Yeah, and then you say, well, you brought in all this negative energy, bro. Exactly. It's not yeah. cool, man. It doesn't work with non-believers. No, that's true. Which is also As we all know. the definition of non-falsifiable. So I mentioned a minute ago about vagueness. So you, the reader, the, the terror reader, you want to make these broad guesses and you ask open-ended questions that the querent can interpret very, very broadly. So I said things like, oh, you know, I see an M in your life. Does M mean anything? Is that something important? Okay, you ask that question. Who doesn't have an M in some way that's important to you, that means something? It could be mom. It could be Michael. <laughs> everybody has a mom. Everybody does have a mom. No, that's not true. Not everybody Most people has a mom. do, right? And no, uh, if, everybody if, literally has a mom. Yeah. <laughs> not everybody has a mother figure. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, what if you're greedy? It, you can interpret it as money. However, sure. you, the current, sure, yeah. want to interpret it, you will interpret it. And guess mm-hmm. what the tarot reader is going to do? Go along Go with, with it. Go with whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's now the right answer. 
if you're someone who studies primates, you think it means monkey. <laughs> and if sure. you don't get a hit, if you don't get hit, boom. You go, okay, I, okay, you know, I, I'm feeling, uh, did I say M? It's an S. And again, I'm just doing it really yeah. clunkily. They're very good at it. And you go to R to D to T, whatever, you're going to get a hit. And that's not the only technique, but it's something like that. You're, you're vague, you're broad, you, you make a lot of these guesses and, and quasi-statements that really aren't statements with any factual information whatsoever. And I, so I said a, a minute ago also high probability guesses, right? Mm-hmm. If someone is young, here's an example. So if, you're, if your querent is young, you say something like, I feel something, someone older in your life, and are they, are they having health problems? And maybe you gesture vaguely towards your torso, and somebody's going to say, oh my God, my grandfather just had a heart attack. Something's going to, uh, most people are going to have something along those lines that seem, they will, they will think. They will, you let them do the work. You let the current do the work and figure out what that actually means in the context of their life. Mm-hmm. And, and so, for instance, if the current instead is older, then you just flip it. There's someone younger. Is there something happening with someone younger in, in your life? And throughout health, you know, health is a really, really popular one too, because if someone younger is having health problems, they're going to think of that and say that, and you're going to look like a genius. Mm-hmm. How did you know my niece has cancer? Something like that. It's like, no way. You couldn't possibly have known that. They did not know that. They threw that out there and you made that. You might even play it off as something that might happen in the future. So if they can't think of anything, you just go, okay, well, be careful. <laughs> because someone out there is going to, something's going to happen for them along the lines of what I just said. That's a, that's a great out. I, I imagine you don't want to overuse that, but hey, it's always yeah. there in your back pocket. There are also questions that if you ask them the right way, they kind of have to be right. Or they're almost always right for everybody. These are sometimes called Barnum questions. They're mm-hmm. named after P.T. Barnum, the famous hoaxer and scam artist who had circuses and stuff like that. He was a, a 19th century huckster. I believe they you made a movie like about him. P.T. Barnum. Uh, oh, do you not like P.T. Barnum or do you not like Hugh Jackman playing P.T. Barnum? I don't like P.T. Barnum and I hate, hate's a strong word, but I strongly dislike The Greatest Showman. Didn't see it. It was, it made him look like a great guy. Oh, P.T. Barnum? It made him look like this hero that brought, made a family out of outcasts. Oh, really? It has the <laughs> most overused song in America. Being a theater kid Which is? in the year 2017, This Is Me or whatever. Sing this it. Is Me. It, I cannot say it. That didn't help me. <laughs> but you, help me at all. I will just say that. We'll play a clip right now. Okay, well, that was a good yeah, song. I love that song. Love Hugh Jackman. Love all the people in the movie. Bad movie. Hmm. Hmm. Didn't see it. Now I'm never going to see it. That's a lot. Ruin it for me. (laughs) So these Barnum questions might be things like, you want people to like you, don't you? Or you have greater strength than you give yourself credit for. Things like that. Who's going to say no to that? No one's ever going to say. You can sometimes be too critical about yourself. I, these are classic Barnum kind of questions. Sometimes, a, no, I think I'm great, I'm, and I don't give a shit if people like. I'm me. really confident. So. Sometimes you doubt your decisions, but I, I, and I did that with with Emma. Mm-hmm. I, I did a Barnum, mm-hmm. a version of a Barnum question. You're you're willing to challenge authority, aren't you? Things like that. So those you 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 virtually can't be wrong when you throw that out there. But the thing is, again, they've shown scientifically with experiments that people think this really applies to them very, very specifically and are just amazed. You're awed by these things that are right about everybody. There's tons more, by the way. These are statements statements that they're either true about the person or the person wants them to be true about themselves. A version of this is actually called the Rainbow Ruse, and it's not, it's not a gay thing. It refers to going from across the, the color spectrum all the way across. So these statements almost literally can't be wrong because they cover the entire spectrum. So you say something like, you're usually bold, but sometimes you can be timid. I mean, you know, the water is sometimes hot, but other times it's cold. I, 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 that was made up. I just, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you typically present a cheerful face toward the world, but sometimes you can get down in the dumps. Things like that. Yeah. They, they cover everything. They have to be right. And again, it's shocking that people in the right context and done well, don't realize those are indeed 
have to be true. They're not falsifiable again, yeah. and they are this this kind of Barnum question type of technique. And the better the reader, the better you dress it up, and the the less it sounds as as obvious as as it sounds right now. Again, you listen right now, I think that sounds obvious. Trust me, it's incredibly effective. Yeah, and it's not. It's it, they, it works on pretty much everyone. It's it's a human condition. Volume is important too. Say lots of things. This is sometimes called the shotgun technique. So psychics and tarot readers will throw out just a ton of guesses. And here's the thing. The hits are going to seem amazing. The one in 20, let's say. The 19 that are wrong are immediately forgotten. And again, it seems like, no, you're going to remember that. You don't remember. Yeah. People don't remember that. Again, mm-hmm. it's been shown with, with experiments. Social science has shown. They've, you know, they've had people go through in, in a controlled environment, and then the perception of what just happened is completely wrong. It's like, oh, my God, that, that um, reader said X, Y, Z, and no. The querent said those things. The reader just threw out very vague things. And they, you know how, how many of, of that person's guesses are accurate? And they always grossly overinflated yeah. the level of accuracy. These were experiments done with people who weren't going, you know, self-selecting to go to a psychic reader or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know what's weird about that? Like, you know, take somebody's Instagram page or whatever. Y- you post a, something on Instagram and you get 20 comments, 19 are positive. Oh, this is great. Looks uh, like fun. You look, you're so cute, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. One person says something shitty to you. You forget about the 19 positives yeah. and you only remember the shitty one. So that's kind of the reverse. It is, it is the reverse, yeah. Yeah. But it's, that's true though. That's yeah. how we are. And then when you get a hit, when you throw out lots of guesses and they're mm-hmm. broad and vague, and then the reader, or, I'm sorry, the querent, figures out what you meant and applies it, you, you then claim it. You take it as your own. And sometime during the course of that reading, you say, well, a minute ago when I told you X, Y, Z, and you didn't say that, the reader right. supplied that to you. You claim it as your own. It's a very powerful technique as well. Predicting some future event is even easier. And that's kind of the beauty of tarot, because tarot specifically is very much associated with fortune telling. And I mean, that's, those are, that's almost impossible to disprove. Because again, A, because it's in the future, you don't who's, know when. Who's counting that? Yeah. yeah, you don't know when. <laughs> you don't know how far into the future. But critically, because that person who came in for the reading, they're going to find something that happens sometime in the future that fits what you said was going to happen. Again, because that guess is that, that future fortune telling is not super specific. It's not March 12th, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah is going to happen. It's much more, yeah. oh, you're going to yeah. find something that works for you in a very fulfilling way or some, something like that. Or yeah. even just you, you'll, you'll get a great job or something like that. As, that's about as specific as they'll be. So the person who wants to believe is going to find some truth in that prophecy eventually. So again, the willing, this willingness for the participants to search for the meaning, to find the meaning, is true to almost every participant in this. It actually has a word, too. It's been studied for, for decades now. It's called the Forer effect, F-O-R-E-R. A researcher named Bertram Forer, he identified it in the late 1940s, and he called it, quote, the fallacy of personal validation, which is super catchy because we've seen a lot of people in this episode don't know how to name things. So <laughs> someone called it the four effect, and that's a little bit better. He did a 1949 experiment and involved a group of college students at UCLA. That's where he taught clinical psychology. And he had them fill out this personality test. And then he gave them back the results. And he said, these are your personal results. They're unique to you as an individual. In fact, all the results from this personality test were exactly the same for every single participant in that experiment. Mm -hmm. And they were based on these 13 broad statements. He got them actually from horoscopes. And there are things like, you have a great deal of unused capacity, which you have not turned to your advantage. Are at times you're extroverted, affable, sociable, while other times you're introverted, wary, <laughs> reserved. These are exactly what we talked about. And everybody, the students assessed the results and he asked them, okay, you know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? And they overwhelmingly said, oh my God, you nailed me. That's hmm. so amazing. How could, this personality test is so effective. It's so accurate. It's a real thing. That's science, bro. And in, in fact, it was complete nonsense. It was the exact same reading and results for every single person in this study. And the statements were seen as highly individualized. Not just they're super accurate, mm-hmm. but wow, that's me. And I, you know, I'm, an, I'm different. 
They weren't they weren't thought of as general. They weren't thought of as something that was broad. You don't make that connection. You realize yeah. how broad those statements yeah. are. You think that's that's really me and and you know, not me alone, but just me. Yeah. There's some other things going on too. This confirmation bias, this false pattern recognition, things like that. But you get the idea, the forward effect, the the willingness and the, the desire to believe the results are true and accurate and apply to you is, is a, again, a very powerful psychological. And I want to be clear here. Everybody, every human being with a brain is susceptible to this. This is not a, uh, you know, don't sit there and say, oh, you're just some elitist smarty pants. I would fall with, I would do this too. I have no doubt. Everybody yeah. does. It's, hu- it's human nature. Mm-hmm. You've taken a few personality tests. And I, in, my, in my defense, I think an entire industry is complete bullshit. I know. I'll fuck up a personality test. <laughs> I love that stuff. My, uh, my employer is a big fan of personality tests. I think the whole <laughs> yes. thing is, 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 is it's quack science. It's be careful. Science, but, be careful. Yeah, I don't think he listens. But um, <laughs> So essentially, the four effect makes the current in league with the psychic. Mm-hmm. They're they're going to find the meaning, and they're going to think that meaning applies to them and only them. They find the answers together. Remember, I talked about it when I was talking about tarot in the last episode. Tarot enthusiasts very openly on their websites and, and their communications say things like, "The pro- it's a process, and we'll find the meaning together." They literally are telling you kind of what what they're doing, and it's not mm-hmm. yeah you know, what we think they're doing. It's pretty bold though to say that. I mean, think about it. if you find the answer in, in league with the the reader. How is that your, you know, your skill and how is that a magical ability of your tarot card? See, in that context, it seems a little self-helpy therapy to me almost. Yeah, yeah like, it is. Oh, for sure. It's, it's more, you know, less fortune telling than let's there, use these as a, as a tool to, you know, get to the bottom of what's bothering you. We'll talk yeah, about that in a minute. There is, there is a version of tarot that's like that. Yeah. And we'll talk about that at kind of the end here in a minute. The uh, some readers, by the way, tarot readers and and psychic mediums as well, they will even challenge the client. Like you're not trying hard enough to find mm. meaning in that statement. That's not unheard of. You must be missing something, bro. <laughs> Come on, man. Are you sure no one has had a with an M has something in the torso? <laughs> Think harder. So I mean, I know, and and people in that they don't want to be that person. Yeah. You, you, they want to help out and they'll find something. So, mm-hmm. so sometimes, again, so sometimes you can say, oh, it's going to happen in the future if it hasn't happened yet. Or sometimes you say, you just don't realize this happened. You're not thinking hard enough. It's you, not me. <laughs> so, and then, so then basically you recap the session. You focus on only the hits. You take credit for those hits. You forget all about all the misses. And that you arrive at the solution in league with the querent who is trying very, very, very hard to arrive at the solution with you. You take ownership of everything. Basically, the journey started with these scattershot, vague guesses, and it winds up, you know, one or two crystal clear insights that the, the querent leaves with this idea that, uh, how could they have known that? It's impossible. There has to be something going on. And then if you learn how to do that, you go hang out your shingle. And, but first, you get a neon sign in the shape of an eyeball, because that's super cool. <laughs> you have to have one of those. And if you don't believe me, by the way, that this is what happens, maybe you'll believe a tarot reader who does this for a living. The website said, quote, and so I, I was alluding to this a second ago, quote, it's okay to ask the subject questions about the cards and to brainstorm together ways in which the cards might apply to their original question. Sometimes the cards won't match up at all. The querent ask about money, but you pull two cup cards and the lovers. This might suggest what they really wanted to ask about <laughs> was their love life. And then in parentheses, who doesn't, question mark. So th- think about what just happened. That was literally a sleight of hand. But it's the actual terror reader saying, here's how you do it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's almost an admission of guilt, but that's not the intent. So, I mean, that process is just preposterously pliable. It can't mm-hmm. ever be wrong if you do something like that, N- ever. You, you pump the victim for information. I'm sorry, s- subject, I should have said. <laughs> Jesus. <And> you- <laughs> the querent, Dean, it's a querent. The querent, the querent. And, it, and you find meaning in these, in these vague, vague scattershot uh, statements. And, then you, and, and as the person said, you can then even change the question to fit the answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, heavy sigh. That's... Um, <laughs> That's that's not that's again that's that's impossible to be wrong. And the fortune telling part is even easier. So in that three card spread that we did, the first two cards allow the reader to kind of pretend they have knowledge uh, through 
cold reading techniques, and then the third card that this that makes the the guess right it displays their secret knowledge about the future in a way that again is impossible to disprove, or or at the very least, the the uh, querent is going to want it to be true and will. So, the beauty of tarot, specifically to tarot, is that this kind of psychic reading, the way they're used. Is that is their flexibility? They're super mm-hmm. flexible. Remember, we talked about how the medium things. You have seventy eight cards. They all can mean something specific. But really, if you if you look at the meanings, look go look at read a tarot deck and read the. You know, it's amazingly every card can be very pliable. It's just that oh, you know, they go into some realm like you know that's a conflict or challenge or authority for the sword deck or something like for the sword suit, something like that. That's but that's. Massive. That's huge. That leaves just plenty of room for interpretation. So tarot, as a technique for this kind of method, is phenomenal. It's mm-hmm. like it could have been invented for for cold reading because it's incredibly flexible. Okay, there are a variety of ways that some advocates claim to kind of I don't know rescue tarot from its magicalness. And Carrie kind of alluded to that just a second ago. So so some tarot people find the supernatural part of it kind of hard to defend and they're not super comfortable with it. This is sometimes called soft tarot. I mean, if you think about it, if tarot is a magical paranormal thing, how is it being effectuated? Remember, it's it's the order of the cards is critical, right? And what what those cards are. So how? How literally, logistically is that happening? Mm -hmm. Is the magic going, acting through, uh, I don't know, the, the querent? And and physically changing which cards are on the top of the deck for that three card spread or that five card spread, that would have it would have to be something like that for there to be a magical quality to the order and the sequence of those cards. And if there's not something like that, then they're not magical. I, I think the the magic doesn't rearrange the cards. The magic makes the card be whatever card it uh, needs okay. to be. Okay. Mm. So the cards essentially the cards themselves are magic. Or wait, is that what you're saying? Or something magic is um, making the card change, changing Maybe. the card. Or is there a via or, magic? Because it's magic. Uh, <laughs> okay, I mean, well, I don't know, but there I would mean, have to be something like that yeah. for tarot to be paranormal. Yeah, and again, there are some. So there are some tarot people who aren't soups comfortable with that. Yeah, seems a little weird. So these advocates argue that tarot—it's just something that sort of allows you or the reader, and because remember, you can be your own reader to understand yourself, to yeah. tap into your subconscious or your intuition. You, you kind of clarify your goals, recognize your options through, through tarot, which to which I say, knock yourself out. And honestly, that's how I think of it. It, doesn't, it almost doesn't matter which cards come up. We're going to use those cards as a springboard to talk yeah. about whatever okay. is bothering you, Querent, or whatever mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you're hoping to talk. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Other people take a similar line. They say that tarot reading is kind of this, is understanding the psychology of the querent. So this is more an active reader. The reader understands the psychology of the client, and they're reading clues and cues, and they're acting on them and interpreting through those cues. And they say, hey, this is no different than what politicians and priests, for example, do when they're mm-hmm. talking to a person yeah. or something like that. They, they use the psychology of what, what they know that person to talk them through it and help them. My only response to that is that's a pretty shitty humble brag because politicians and priests, I don't know, <laughs> is that the best you can come up with? But also it kind of misses the point because the clear common understanding of tarot for most people is that there is this supernatural element. Yeah. So it's kind of avoiding the core of what tarot is thought of. Others, others try to dress it up even in sciencey kind of things. Like oh. they really have. There's some stuff. I they, they use jargon and science type jargon, almost like oh, we don't understand it completely yet, but there's some <laughs> kind of a science, uh, uh, you know, what we call ESP or something like that is happening here, and Tarot is able to access that or enhance that or something like that. There are versions of that kind of an argument too. My point is there are these versions of of Tarot that are different than you know the classic. This is magic kind of a thing. One Tarot advocate said, "Quote." A good reader can help a person make sense of what is triggered by the images to see the pattern. A good reader can both support a person's own insights and offer alternate possibilities for consideration, end quote. To which I'd say, again, maybe, that's great, but so could a trained, honest therapist. And, you know, is that maybe a better option than a tarot reader? And, and part two of that is how many tarot readers really are saying that to their readers? 
I'm sorry, their querents, versus how many are at least letting them think, if not outright saying, this is magic. Mm-hmm. I don't know that because I haven't done a survey of, of tarot readers. The perception is that they mostly would say it's magic. Tarot readers, I mean. So all of these, these explanations that are kind of soft tarot are, are pretty tenuous at best, and they all share the same underlying problem. Two things. One, if there is a paranormal you know, thing going on here, the mechanism for that is crazy, or at least the mechanism that is something that doesn't make sense in, in the world that we know right now. But more generally, I would argue that tarot cards as just a means to understand yourself like that, doesn't that kind of negate the need for tarot cards? Why are you using tarot cards for that? Why are they so special in that regard? Why do you need magic cards? Because again, you're supposed to flip open that card and that's supposed to guide you to a meaning. And let's be honest, the order of those cards and the sequence of those cards is pure 100% luck. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know they're pliable. I get that. But why use that empress to narrow down the meaning of this question in your life? That yeah. seems a little scary to me. Well, I wouldn't say scary. Say scary. Well, scary in the sense that what but, if you... Yeah, I would say scary, well, honestly. Well, you know, I it's just therapy is scary and expensive. And, yeah. Yeah, you I know, suppose. admitting that you need a therapist is a big step. And, uh, you know, I could see somebody using it as more like a prompt. Yeah. Yeah. Than anything else. Know. And it's not just, you're not just using a card. There's another person there who, you know, there's a give and take in a conversation and asking you questions and making you think about things. So, yeah, from that perspective. It can be a stepping stone. Yeah. It, it can be, but my, my counter argument to that is that a lot of tarot practitioners do say that you shouldn't make major life decisions based on that person's terror rating. Yeah. That's the scary part. Yeah, that's not a great thing. Uh, One terror website that I looked at had, I guess for lack of a better term, these testimonials. They had these little profiles of these people who had used that person's terror skills. And this one woman said she quit her job, her high-paying job working for a TV company based on a (laughs) reading. That reading was done by the receptionist for that company who was just dabbling in tarot at the time as kind of a side hustle. And so... You know, if you're that uh, receptionist and the executive is saying, gosh, should I quit my job? Not hard to figure out. They want to quit their job. Well, so. that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I know. It, but the still. issue is more likely that person wanted to quit their yes, job. It and is. The first thing that gave them, Some you know, permission to yeah. quit and their they, job. That they woman took. did quit her job and she. It's probably you know, just fine. Did, no, no, she says so. Yeah. But again, that's a testimony on a tarot website. Yes, Probably of course. I'm not going to hear the other ones. Here's the other thing, though. What if your question is, should I get divorced? What if your question is, should I have a child? What if your question is, should I take that cancer medication? This could be, it's a slippery slope to something very, very dangerous. Well, I would hope if your question is, should I take that cancer medication, that tarot reader is not going to give you a... yeah. Honestly, I know. Uh, I, I feel mean, like the view on tarot readers are, is a bit more sinister than it is in reality. Because I know several people that do tarot, not professionally, obviously, but I've met a couple people that do it professionally, and they're not going to answer those questions. Yeah, right. Really? No, absolutely not. Do you not. think any do? I do. I'm sure some are out there, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure at certain points in time in history, it was a lot more nefarious for some people. Yeah. But it's really common now, and so many people do it. Yeah. And stuff like, should I have a baby? Should I get divorced? Should I take this medicine? They might try to help you along and help you get to some sort of clarity. But I don't know a lot of people that do tarot that would give you a definitive answer through the cards. Yeah. yeah. That's On good. something well, that's so good. extreme. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm yeah. being too negative. I'm not too negative. I'm, it just, it worries me and scares me that people are using tarot for serious things. Yeah. And that's understandable. And the connection to psychics and, because I understand that's, stuff like yeah. that in history, those have been pretty yeah. nasty and yeah. exploitative. Yeah. What I view tarot as now in today's age, it's not the same. Yeah. It's pretty lighthearted at times is it yeah. well that's good because because you know like like again going back to the the long island medium you know she tells people oh you're whatever to, to for her to talk about the missing loved one or something like that yeah is, she's, is despicable she's horrible i don't and like her you're either yeah. giving false hope or you're you know because obviously what she's doing is a shtick it's a lie she's you a fraud do. and and for her to 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 add anything is 
about something that serious is absolutely vile. And you're doing it in front of a camera. Yeah. This yeah. is clearly for profit. It's clearly for infamy. You're not some kind woman that's wanting to give yeah. these people a glimpse yeah. of their loved one. That's not funny. If people are doing tarot and just like going, oh, okay, it makes you think about things. That, that's great. I, yeah. That's, that's, mm-hmm. Have fun with it. I think they're fine. I'll probably do that. I'll probably do some tarot readings. I got my card. I got to use it. I just got to clean it. I got to cleanse it first, obviously. The nasty ones exist. That's... The nasty and, ones? Yeah, like the no, not the nasty cars. Oh, I think like, like the nasty, nasty cars, like naked hanged masks. <laughs> oh, hey, like that. that's your next invention. That the nasty is not a bad idea. People, readers, I'm uh, they exist because in any yeah thing, any yeah. topic like this, those people that are going to exploit it or make it negative are bound to happen. Yeah. But from my experience being around it with people, it's quite nice. That's good because what I worry about is is that you the current are effectively consigning your future yeah to the guidance of someone with a neon eyeball yeah. out in front of their office or Brenda from accounting who's been dabbling lately and that that's the part that that is scary, mm-hmm. but if it's just done, if that if if it's a responsible tarot reader and they're just kind of helping you think about things yeah. like that, that's fine. Totally. Yeah. Adding the veneer of I'm I'm a psychic thing, okay, whatever. That's how you make yeah. your money. As long as you don't take it too seriously. Yeah. I'm sure most don't. And I, I think... I hope. I they think so, the, a querent going into something like that, they know what they want their answer to be. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. So if, you know, should well, I have a they? baby? I really want to have a baby. I, I really want to have a baby. Should I have a baby? If they say the timing's not right or, you know, whatever, they're going to work some way around it. Yeah, and, I so. you know, get their answer. Get their, yeah. Don't you think there are a lot of people go there with a completely open mind and really don't know the answer? And so that tarot reader is now giving you an answer that you don't have an opinion. I, I, right? Probably, but mm. I would think that if you're someone I don't think with that. a really open mind or, a good understanding of tarot, you're probably not going to one of those kind of quackish people. Um, well, but really, yeah, I don't think that's true. I think you, I think you're. How would you know? Yeah, until, that, yeah. Well, you wouldn't. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, but not you know someone with a neon eyeball oh, on their no. side. Is yeah, I, yeah, I meant that as a compliment. <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan of neon eyeballs. That would attract me to, to that person. But also, if a person goes to any practitioner with some, you know, cut and dry yes or no question and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Yeah. I mean, that's I in the end, it is still that person's decision whether sure. or not they're going to follow what this person with a neon eyeball tells yeah. them to do or what the, the flip of the coin tells them to do or what the magic eight ball tells them to do. Honestly, I think there is another totem besides terrorists that you can mm-hmm. use. And it is this crazy thing called a coin. Use a penny mm-hmm. in the yeah. United States because on there is Abraham Lincoln. Honest A. Honest A. <laughs> Flip that coin. Honest Abe's not going to lie to you. No, I'd use a quarter because George Washington cannot tell a lie. That's a fact. That's good, too. We have two very <laughs> honest dead presidents. That's impressive. Yep. So, yeah, I, I would probably flip a coin rather than use tarot. But tarot's, I, I think tarot looks fun to me. I would urge you not to take it very seriously and just have fun with it. Because and and, it, and I would say this too to be not to be negative again, but if someone is <laughs> no, if, if that reader is telling you I'm magical, I have powers, they're I'm just gonna say it, they're lying to you. That's not true. They don't. They no one does. But if they're saying let's let's figure this out together, let's let's find an answer. Let's think about well, the empress says da 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 da. And what do you think about that? And you just have almost like a like a therapy session. Yeah. Yes. Nine times yeah. out of ten these days, because it's quite common and it it is very much connected to like the spiritual realm not so much magic it's more like crystals and intuition crystals and and intuition intuition and spirit guides and it's very cultural for a lot of people yeah so it's more like yeah like a conversation and and, you know you open up your eyes to a different way of thinking that you might have not gotten there another way okay go for it have fun that's how i see it these days a very um young yeah, it's very popular. It's popular right now. Yeah. So it's astrology. astrology. It's connected <laughs> to astrology, astrology, astrology and crystals and mm-hmm. intuition. Yeah. And then yeah. and the biggest part of me thinks that there's a dangerous, there's a slippery slope to that. And also, I, I know I've made this argument too many times. I believe that it erodes our critical thinking because it's believing in magical realism. And it seems innocent and seems cute. But that's the kind of thing that leads to us uh, not having logical brains and not and not being able to rationally think of things that are much much more serious, like whether or not the 2020 election was stolen or not. 
I believe there's a direct connection between that kind of erosion of critical thinking. I think we have, clearly we are less rational people in 2022 than, than we have been in the past, and that's dangerous. Yeah. Not to end on a downer. Otherwise, go have fun. <laughs> Um, remember again, as, as Carrie found out last time, things like the death card and the devil, not as scary as they sound. No, not at all. What was the one that was really the moon, right? The moon was kind of like, Ooh, that's dicey. I don't want to see that in my tarot reading. Yeah. But otherwise the sun. Awesome. I think I came up with a positive twist on the moon one. What was it? I don't remember. What was the negative twist on the moon? Uh, The the moon can mean some bad things. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm just going to leave it at that because I don't (laughs) remember. All right. Okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. All right, that was Tarot. Bye. Hope you enjoyed. See ya. In case you forgot.